Well, great to be back with you guys, and uh, thank you for praying as I scurried out of here uh, the other evening uh, en route to Dallas. I had a great time down there uh, walking with some dear folk and uh, in the world of vocational discipleship, and um, thank you for prayers. Thank you for airplanes to get back. And good to walk in on two dear friends. If you heard Duffy uh, at one point, hopefully you will get to hear Duffy. Duffy and I were in each other's weddings. And we're both been married over 45 years, so we're old. But uh, a lot of great Duffy stories. But uh, I think uh, Darlene and I will have our 48th anniversary May 5th, and uh, Duffy and Maggie are coming on number 46. So started walking together in a... Back in the 60s, and it's just great to see my brother and friend, uh, awesome to walk across, kind of had gospel stereo going on to sit in on Richie, and known Richie ever since he came to town uh, to do music, and had a major collision with the gospel. He now lives walking distance from our home, which is so fun just to kind of live in the way God writes our stories, the way the Lord... Uh, Right now is at work in your story because he's written you into his story, but also something you're going to get to see much later as you've grown towards life in the new earth. Just the, the networking, just the tapestry of God meeting you in some of your most difficult seasons, uh, meeting people now that later you will remember a prayer, a touch that took place even in a weekend like this. There are no wasted moments. None of us is the point, but we all matter. And I cannot underscore that too much in the way that we even approach the scripture that we're considering three times together and then maybe in some application Friday morning when I take any questions you guys have as we talk about what I've learned in 40 years of ministry. But we're looking at Asaph. If you would turn again to Psalm 73, I gave you three words that frame this psalm. And it, it's, it's so inviting to us because it's so real and honest. Christian subculture I grew up in uh, did not go to portions of Scripture that were as raw and real as this one. We wanted to pretend. We wanted to put Romans 8, 28 band-aids on cancers. Missing a lot of the gift of the Psalter. Asaph, if you were here, we reminded our hearts that he had a unique position of serving under King David, and at least for a little while under Solomon, both in the tabernacle and in the temple. He was a music writer. He was a doxicologist. He was a vocational lead worshiper and worship leader. And yet, in telling us his story, we see weariness. That's what we talked about as an overview the first night we were here, that it is absolutely appropriate and predictable that we're going to get weary. And the gospel of God's grace alone gives us permission not to pose or spin that. We don't have to yes, but when we are toast. This psalm um, reeks of a man that went through perhaps a protracted season, if you want to call it the dark night of the soul, if you want to talk it, call it burnout, whatever else. And he tells us his story. And there's not a bow at the end of the psalm. There's a Jesus at the end of the psalm. He's not now on the cover of Guidepost magazine before and after. 
We see in the psalm more the trajectory of what it means to increasingly move towards gospel astonishment and refueling and, and to do it together. Again, this was sung in corporate worship, a man's story that was voiced and gave voice to other people's stories just like yours. So weariness, the second word that we'll consider tonight for 25 minutes or so, um, wander, owning your wander, that great hymn, come thou fount of every blessing, prone to wander, Lord, I, we feel it. It's an existential category. It's not just something you theologically say that happens. Prone to wander, prone to run like Jonah. Sometimes it seems absolutely like the only way out is buying a one-way ticket to Tarshish. Or sometimes perhaps in ministry, like Jeremiah, you've got the guts and the grace to say to God, I feel deceived. Now, unique part of Jeremiah's story, of course, early in Jeremiah, God says, I'm going to give you words to speak, and oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. And when Jeremiah experienced the fact that indeed faithful ministry does not equate with translatable, predictable outcomes, at least immediately, it was too much. What a gift to us. We're going to talk about owning our wander tonight. I'm going to do that through the grid of just kind of telling you some of my story of what led up to my ministry and burnout at age 50. This coming Saturday, I turn 70, which is the first number in my chronology that's ever got my attention. But for the last 20 years, and I want this to encourage you, I have never been more encouraged about the ministry of the gospel. I'm so thankful that the Lord met me in a time when I would have done anything had I been able financially to do something other than ministry. I would have traded the whole show in for a Diet Coke because it hurt that bad. I was that empty. It just felt like no way out. I'm going to talk about what led up to that so that maybe some of the trends or ways you're living life now, you can say, I don't have to go that route and I want to think now, what am I doing to actually put myself in a position for potentially being more weary than necessary. You're going to be weary because we're called to love well, and you cannot love well without it costing you something. But then the last thing we're going to see, and I'm going to read the whole psalm so you can get that taste again, because this is about encouragement. This isn't group therapy where we're all going to have a group, big group hug and see who's the most depressed and then give out one of Michael's books. Uh, no, we're going to say in the midst of who we are right now, individually, collectively as teams, where we are. The Lord helps us cultivate our wonder. That was a phrase, of course, if you're in Duffy's session, you know Duffy talked about the importance, and especially in student ministry, to fuel the imagination, cultivate wonder. And uh, for wonder, wonder happens again and again and again as we learn new ways and means of getting the gospel deeper into our hearts, but also looking across the board at God has made us as image bearers. We are physical, we are emotional, we are mental, we're spiritual. And so we're going to look at different things that will renew the wonder. So 
weariness, wander, and wonder. Now, uh, one or two of you asked, as I showed up today, so what Bible were you reading from? A really a very old one, actually. I've had this Bible since 1978. It's old NIV 84. And I'm going to read it again. I love other translations. I've written for two of the ESV Bibles, not in the Bible, but uh, for the Gospel Transformation Bible and Men's Discipleship Bible. I love the ESV and all that. I really do. But hear the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let me uh, read Psalm 73, verse 1. And then I'm going uh, to stay on task. You've got notes. If, if, if the things I'm going to share about what led up to my burnout are helpful to you, I will send this email to the powers that be in RYM and they'll have some way you can have these notes. So please just don't worry about taking a bunch of notes tonight. But here's God's word. Listen for the weariness, the wander, and the wonder. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, something's going on there early on in terms of he's, he's calling out his sin, but also this, this picture of wandering. When you start looking somewhere beyond, you know, the, 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 the gaze of Jesus and seeing his beauty, when, when, when Jesus is not functionally enough, something begins to stir. And it's usually good longings that God has given us that get sabotaged by uh, things that will never fill us up. He, he's envying, okay? Uh, I envied. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. All the while we hear the subtext, like I am, Asaph would say. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? He's describing a scene here of just a, a group of people kind of sucking up to a few of the primary people he envies, and they just are doing life loud and large, and they are even mocking the notion of God. He goes on. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. And then this scene of the, the heart that has gotten disconnected from the, a real sense of what it means to be not primarily a worship leader, but a lead worshiper. He writes, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed this generation of your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. 
as a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. One comment from the other night. Remember, he did not shift into imprecatory mode. He's not calling down fire. He's basically saying, if I had let my heart go exactly where they were going, this would have been me. When my heart, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Now he doesn't start beating himself up. If you were in Richie's session, you heard about how we sabotage good repentance by thinking we've got to work up a good angst and feel really crappy about ourselves before we go to Jesus. Now, this man goes immediately to the resources of grace. Or as Jack Miller, my spiritual father, used to say, repentance is collapsing on Christ. It's not throwing yourself on Jesus. You don't even have the energy to throw yourself on Jesus. Just collapse on Christ. He's, he's, he's owning his wonder. And here is the wonder that's emerging. He says in verse 23, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Now, tomorrow night, we'll talk about that cultivating wonder about the relationship between our union with Christ and our communion with Christ. Because you see real movement here where, where Asaph is understanding, you know, your, your, your wonder is just going to assume Jesus is not enough existentially now. So you're going to go somewhere with the longings. You're going to go somewhere with the pain. Now, what I want to do, like I said, for the next little bit that I have, and you will be out of here on time to make your dinner date down in Nash, Vegas. So I promise you that. I pride myself in uh, not having to have people look at their watches when it's time for dismissal. So hang with me now for the next several minutes. I'm going to walk you through kind of how I so personally connect with this psalm. And I've got a list here that I've actually only shared once publicly before. And it's not like you're getting ready to hear a bunch of dirt. It's just that in this format, in terms of just really sitting down and being asked by a group of uh, church planters and the PCA and pastors about, so what, what really, looking back, Scotty, what would you say were some of the themes, some of the aspects of life that really uh, kept you an unhealthy man uh, very unhealthy and made you even sicker. So, uh, the top of my little outline I'm going to go forth now is this, this great question that emerges in Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? See, that's a good question that we can ask. It's like, it's like what I think what Asaph would have asked that question as well. So, what's going on inside of me? How do I understand my anger, my fear, and my anxiety. Now, those aren't the three only emotions you want to listen to, but let me tell you, take very seriously what you do with anger, what you do with anxiety, and what you do with fear. Listen to those emotions. Don't try to fix them. They're telling you something. And I needed to do that. And 
for me because of my ways and heart and sin and brokenness. Burnout for me, as I'll share in a minute, became a gift to slow me down enough to ask those questions. So through work with my wife and in our marriage, Darlene began becoming a healthier woman and a healthier wife at least 14 years before I joined her in that journey. And let me say this on the front end for those of you that are older, for those of you that are engaged, those of you that hope to get married, those of you that are married now and it's more than you bargained for, let me encourage you with this. My wife and I have done most of our important gospel healing work after the 25th anniversary. So I, 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 want, I want hope to be a palpable theme for you. None of you are beyond anything. There's nobody, first of all, beyond the need of God's grace in this ministry. There's none of us beyond the reach of God's grace. I'm so thankful I would have written the story differently. Darlene would have written our story differently. But 25 years into our marriage is when we really began to experience more deeply the healing that our Father had intended for us. But Darlene started first. And if you're married right now and you're lonely in your own marriage, again, be encouraged. The Lord will meet you where you are. Don't make your healing codependent or dependent upon your spouse's getting better. Just unhitch that wagon now. Here's some things. All right, so what led up to my burnout... 2000 and began to move me more towards cultivating some wonder. Ministry became too much of my identity. My cover, my cocaine, and my broken cistern. Again, those words work. Ministry became too much of my identity, my cover, my cocaine, and my broken cistern. Now, I, this is stuff I was not aware of. I, I, in fact, when Darlene and I got married, I told her I would never be a pastor. We were both converted through the Jesus movement. We both grew up in churches that did not preach the gospel. We de-churched before it was popular. And, and so we, we, we worked up good cynical stuff against the church long before that's become, you know, the domain of millennials and Y generation. And we were angry about that world. We, when we got married, we knew we wanted to serve Jesus, but we wanted nothing to do with the church. And, and I say that just to say that, you know, when we got married, there's so little we knew about our own hearts. And then when we were more fully called into, we were willing to serve Jesus anywhere at any time. But, you know, uh, it, it became a way of defining especially me. And, and as I shared briefly our first night, my bent in life, my wander is not shaped by ambition. My wander is shaped more by medicating pain. And, and let me just use that language again. That first night said that when you think of wander, think of two basic gravitational pulls. One might be more your MO in life. Either you're, you're driven, you're trying to get an identity, you're trying to, you're, you're, you're more ambitious to build something. That has never been me. Mine has been a subtext of, I hope they don't find out. And a depth of insecurity and shame that were far more powerful than the love of God that I was preaching to the benefit of so many others. 
So ministry can become that. Just be aware of that. It can, it can, you know, and for you now, if, if you're, uh, if you're assuming right now you grow that youth group and you're going to finally get the fulfillment you deserve or long for or never got from your daddy that's already dead and he never said you were enough, don't make ministry be something it will never give you. Ministry can become a horrible mistress. In fact, the very night we planted Christ Community Church, Jack Miller preached the Constitution Sermon of the Church we planted in Franklin. And we're getting ready to walk out on the stage. And it was an incredible, wonderful time, November 16th, 1986, I think it was. And we get ready to walk out, and Jack turns to me and says, Hey, Scotty, let's go plant a church. And by the way, watch out, or this church will become your whore. Then we walk right out on the stage. Thanks a lot, Jack. See, he knew because his wife earlier before Jack's burnout and gospel renewal, his wife Rosemary had said to Jack, Jack, you've got two mistresses, the church in Uganda and the church in Philadelphia. Had a wise father that lived out before me a freedom in the gospel before I would really join in. I, I learned the lyric of that narrative before I learned its music. Be aware of where you depend too much upon ministry to be your cocaine, your cover, your identity, or your broken cistern. Uh, another thing I can say now, looking back, through good counseling, through finally letting people into my life, I had poor boundaries. I kept saying yes to good things to the exception of the most important things. And I realize boundaries, you know, that's, that's kind of cliche. It can be, uh, that language can be abusive. It can be abused. It can, you, know, you can end up putting a walled city around you with barbed wire, razor wire, and just to keep people out. See, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, because I really did not find a real sense of the gospel's power for my shame I just kept saying yes. See, and this is something theologically, R-Y-M, R-U-F, are great at talking about these primary categories of justification, regeneration, justification, uh, sanctification, adoption, uh, glorification. All these, these are important categories. And in that conversation, we need to be real clear. Most of us will deal with our guilt before we will deal with our shame. And becoming a believer in 1968 at a Billy Graham movie, from that day on to this very night, I have not suffered severe bouts with guilt. I do believe that Jesus' blood paid it all, but the depths of my shame that I did not understand. See, guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says something's wrong with me. And, 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 and if you're not aware of the two, you can confuse the two. And I think for me, it's why I had such a, a boundaryless life as an introvert with extroverted gifts. It was a setup for disaster. Because our church grew because God decided to drop a gospel bomb on Franklin, Tennessee. Our church grew from five couples to 4,000 people in eight years. We weren't smart. We weren't clever. We broke every church growth rule in the universe. God was just going to drop a gospel bomb in Franklin that helped a lot of people. We got to be the collateral damage. So there was nothing clever about it. But it was easy in that world with so much good stuff going on to have no boundaries. That language again. Uh, see, most of us in ministry don't suffer uh, a burnout or collapse choosing between the, the bad and the good, but between the, 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 the good and the best. And, and the best, as we'll see as I go on here for a few more moments, is, is, is where Psalm 73 ends. 
you know, uh, what does it mean to absolutely believe and say, God is my portion? That, that, that the gospel is a person before it, it is propositions. It is Jesus. And that Jesus truly, truly wants you, desires you, delights in you. He says to you, my desire is for you. My banner over you is love. Some of you can teach that far better than it can access your heart. Good news, you're talking to a guy 20 years into recovery. And like I said, I am so thankful for this generation of those of you working in student ministry. I'm so glad. I don't know what it was supposed to feel like when you turned 70. I think when I was 18, I thought, you can't stand up erect anymore. You can't, you won't have any teeth left. You, you know, you won't remember anybody's. I just thought that was just old guy. I'm telling you, there is growth and renewal and refreshment in the gospel that can be found nowhere else. Listen to these things now. Another way thinking about, you know, what the Lord's been doing and through that burnout when I so hit the wall emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, and absolutely. I mean, my prayer was not, Lord, take me to heaven. My prayer became, I just want to, I want to... Um, Disappear. I just want to not exist. I wasn't thinking about, oh, Lord, take me to heaven so I can be with my mother that's been there so long. Or I really want to, you know, walk with Asaph and say, what were you thinking then? I had, no, I had, I got beyond caring about heaven. I just really wanted, I mean, literally my prayer at one point was, it would just be great not to have ever existed. And I didn't sit there long but I needed to honor some of how I was narrating my own pain. I didn't know what to do with it. Again, the insecurity, and, and yet living in a world that, that tend to give me feedback, and the narrative I got from a world in ministry was, you're so healthy, Scotty, you're helping us understand the ways of grace, and it was like, yeah, God will use you, God will use an ass. God will use a floating ax head. God will use Michael. <laughs> There's a trifecta right there. Ass, floating, Axe Head, and Michael. Three unlikely things. I'm not sure how happy I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> a few more categories here. Again, I'll, I'll, if, if this would be helpful just for you to say that you said something that is not mine exactly, but I, I want to ponder that. Uh, and, and any of this stuff we can talk about Friday morning. I live much more from my head than from my heart. I confused being passionate with being present. I had decent theological intelligence, but little emotional intelligence. See, really, I went from, in high school, abusing alcohol leading up to the time of my conversion to abusing theology. And here's how the two are similar. See, I drank, I started drinking to get numb. And it worked. I drank cough medicine, warm beer, and then grain alcohol. While I was playing in a, keyboards in a band, a fraternity party band that played uh, from D.C. through Athens, Georgia as a senior in high school. I mean, I was living the life. Theology became for me a, a form of abuse because I had all the answers. You know if you, can, if you can explain everything, you can hold it at bay, right? And when I became Reformed, and I love Reformed theology, but boy, that really empowered me. I could fix all these crazy Armenians and Charismatics, and, in fact, the first church I worked in, you know, First Pres, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, anybody from Winston-Salem? 
go downtown Cherry Street, you know, right there. And, 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 and what's the wonderful Moravian sugar bread? Did you have any of that this past Christmas? All that stuff's drenched butter over sugar bread. Oh, my gosh. So when, when the staff at First Press, listen to this, guys. Uh, when the staff at First Press hired me to be the youth pastor in 1976, just took me to a retreat up to this cool place in western North Carolina called Hound's Ears. Beautiful thing. We went out, had a great supper. And then so here's the three pastors, senior pastor and the worship pastor of the saints. So, Scotty, we want to get to know you. And they, they already hired me, so it was going to be kind of you know, too late. So we got two questions for you. Um, number one, what are you struggling with? And two, what parts of the Bible, what parts of Scripture still confound you and confuse you? Like that, I shot back. I don't have, I'm not struggling with anything because God's grace is sufficient, and I found in the sovereignty of God my answer to every complexity and mystery in the Bible. As soon as I said that, I'm looking at this new staff, and it's like, we just, fired a, we just hired an idiot. <laughs> and, and some of you know what that's like. Not exactly, but some of you some of you are thinking now, okay, are we really, did we really have the same mother? We just never met each other, you know? But this language, again, guys sometimes, but women can be like this too. Guys, we can live from our head more from our than more than from our heart. And we can learn how to be, you know, there in ministry, but not really present. One of the most important things my wife said to me just before I burned out, she said, she said this, she said, uh, and I, I would preach f uh, four times every Sunday for eight years in downtown Franklin. She, one afternoon said, one yeah, Sunday afternoon, she said, honey, why do you suppose you're so much more alive in the pulpit than you are at home? Pregnant pause, and I think I was in such a state of disconnect. I didn't say it, thankfully, but I could have said, "I don't know." It's just the Holy Spirit; it comes upon me. What can I say? I, you know, as though she was impressed with my preaching. Like that was the point. Wow, you're really alive in the pulpit. That rocks. That's good. No, you can stand up there on that second step in downtown Christ Community because there's no place else to stand because people are everywhere. But you can't pursue my heart or our kids' hearts. What's with that? Last thing, just before I burned out, she says, Scotty, I want to get healthy with you, but I will keep getting healthy without you. Because she was growing. I was, a few more here before we pray. I was naive about, I was naive about how conflict, caregiving, and spiritual warfare deplete the soul. See, some of us go into student ministry, and because it's, it's one form of ministry that allows you still to a certain extent to be a little cynical, you can complain about the senior pastor and the old people and the furniture, and you know, you can, I'm stereotyping, okay? But, um, you know, this is the domain that the powers of darkness invade, working with children, working with students. I don't believe in statistics that if they don't, become converted by age 18, the probability decreases by 80%. That's just pure pragmatics. I've got an aunt in Burlington, North Carolina that was converted at age 81, and she is so much more alive in Jesus than you are. Aunt Cynthia. She rocks. She's amazing. But you see, I wasn't aware that you, you work with people, you walk with people, it depletes you. And if there's not an awareness of the toll it takes on everybody, if you're not self-aware, and again, you might be growing in theological intelligence, but really, 
suffering deeply from emotional intelligence. A confused being useful to the Lord with walking closely with the Lord. And we can play that game, you know. Uh, and, and boy, that's a, that's a dead end, right? Because if, if your student ministry right now is really doing well, is encouraging things, you, you might begin to think, wow, that's a sign of my quiet times. You know, I really, you know, or, you know, that Spotify cycle I've been doing with Andrew Peterson songs is paying off. You know, I'm really good, you know. Or, or if it's really, really bad, you're thinking, I don't even know Jesus. See, so be so very careful about not confusing being useful to the Lord with walking with the Lord, closely with Him. I failed to deal with significant... Okay, I'm going to be done in three minutes, okay? So, is there a final song? Okay, so, y'all, why don't you come on up and get ready for that, just, just to be ready. I'm not, I'm not boasting an on-time righteousness tonight, by the way. I mean, I, Christ is my righteousness, but I love the fact you guys can go partay tonight. But I, I want you to hear some of these things and take them to heart. Take them to heart, okay? A few more, and this is a biggie. I failed to deal with significant heart wounds in my story. You see, the gospel takes on both the repentable and the repairable parts of our story. Only after age 50 did I, through burnout, through good counseling, begin to understand the impact of two major events in my story. When I was 11 years old, my mother was killed in a head-on car crash. Some of you have lost a parent. My dad did not speak her name for the next 40 years. It was as though she just disappeared. There was no grief there was, and I just absolutely avoided dealing with the impact of mom's death. The only person I got close to in all of high school was a girl named Debbie. When we were freshmen in college, I got the call. Debbie was just killed in a car wreck. My heart got so frozen, defined by loss. I made a covenant, not consciously, but I made a covenant. I will never, ever, ever risk loving again to experience this kind of pain. Four years later, after Debbie's death, I married Darlene. Going into counseling through brokenness, beginning to make it back to my mother's grave for the first time at age 50, all the way back to... 11-year-old, that began the process that led me into another important chapter of how, as an 8-year-old kid, and this happened after I really began to process mom's death and, and really joining Darlene in the journey of getting healthier in our marriage and healthy and, 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 and looking at these things and beginning to think about lifestyle issues and all kind of stuff. Four years after that is when Dan Allender and I were leading a... Um, Spiritual Emphasis Week at Taylor University, and uh, it was all, it was exciting. We loved, I loved Dan, and we went to seminary together. Dan was converted in seminary while we were there, which is a great story, but we, we were going to go do this, and it was on stewardship of sexuality, and when Dan shared his story of sexual abuse through youth ministry and scouting, it's just I had my flashback as an eight-year-old kid of the time when I was preyed upon by a neighbor that lured me into a barn where the floor was just covered with pornography. And as an eight-year-old kid looking at images I have no categories for in that moment, this person harmed me sexually. It happened one time, and I think that's why I tried to minimize it. You know, just kind of, oh, just one of those difficult things. It really began 
And see, Darlene in our marriage, 14 years earlier after moving to Nashville, she began for the first time to process her story of abuse. And uh, I'm watching her deal so deeply with the implications of abuse in many forms, sexual being a primary one. And why was I so stuck so long? Why could I not go there and own the fact that a lot of that shame and insecurity, a lot of that incredible questioning about my maleness, how it needed to be brought to the context of where evil hates beauty and I was violated. And I want to encourage those of you that have heart wounds that again, as a 70-year-old man who just started this work at age 50, there is healing, there is freedom, there is grace. You know what, I'm going to stop there because I can pick up tomorrow night with some of that. I just think I want to take a moment and pray. And uh, I want to thank God for the fact that this isn't a list to be simply read and kind of, oh, that's intriguing. I just want to pray right now before Joe and the team lead us. Father, thank you for Asaph's weariness. Thank you for Asaph's wonder. Thank you for his wonder. Lord, I thank you that between resurrection and return of Jesus, we're going to go through different cycles, Lord. Sometimes ministry is going to seemingly be so good, so easy, and we're going to be naive about how we're using ministry to define us in ways that relationship with Jesus is meant to. Lord, there's not a person in this room that has not been a victim and an agent of sin. And I just pray, Lord, that even in talking through some of the things that you've been so kind, so gracious to apply the gospel to my heart, to Darlene's heart, to our marriage, to now our adult kids that we're healing with, Lord, I pray that happens now before some of these in this room even hit 30. Lord, thank you that... um, this is a, a, a student ministry that takes the gospel very seriously and uh, in all of its joys and in all of the rapture and the rupture that goes with it. I pray you be kind tonight, Lord. I pray, thank you for good taste. Thank you that we're not now going to shift into simply running to our favorite restaurant or our favorite bourbon pour or our favorite whatever. Thank you, Lord, that even the important things we've been sharing here need friendship and acquaintance and and laughter and and, and not diversion, but, Lord, just further building a network that we can lean in these next couple of days into what your spirit would do. Thank you, Lord, that you hold us fast. Thank you that the gospel is your grasp of us, not our grasp of you. Thank you that there is only one that will never let go of us, only one love better than life, only one love that's enough for our freedom, our healing, for recultivating a fresh wonder in our hearts, meeting us not with condemnation and our wonder, but with a father that still hikes up his skirt and throws his arms around and kisses his daughters and sons profusely. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.